Hi, I'm Don Mackey, and welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to this episode of Pathways to Rural Prosperity. This is Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, and I will be your host for today's podcast. Tom, welcome to our podcast today. Thanks, Don. It's great to be with you. Yeah, so this is going to be fun, guys. Tom is with the Engler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at my home institution, the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And so really excited about what is occurring here. And so, Tom, as is our custom with this podcast, we always like to create a little bit of room for you to share a bit about your journey that has brought you to the Engler program. And so share a little bit about your background and your journey. Well, thanks. I grew up in Western Colorado in a very small town. As a matter of fact, where our ranch was, the closest little town would have been a community of about six. (laughs) And then the closest community where I went to school was Gunnison, which at that time was still very, very small and rural kind of place. And so I've always been thankful and grateful that I had the chance to grow up in a place where there was only one way to create any kind of beauty or value, and that was through community. And certainly there was a lot of individualism and uh, you can't be in the ranching business and not have folks who have kind of bought into the individual approach. But growing up in that community was such a powerful experience. And I was really fortunate to be surrounded by entrepreneurs in my family. My father was very entrepreneurial. I had a grandmother who was very, very successful in the hospitality industry and had just built this really great business. Mm-hmm. Another grandmother that was entrepreneurial, especially in the mid-season of her life. And then my mom, who became very entrepreneurial after she kicked all of us out of the house <laughs> and started a retail business that survived for, from her early 50s all the way till she was 80 years old wow. when she finally sold that. So I was just surrounded by this great community. And I guess I am the product of the struggle between my father's desire to raise a rancher and my mother's desire to raise someone who would go out into the world beyond the valley where we grew up. I'm just sort of this crazy mix of all of that. Went off to college, went back home, worked for my dad, got into education. I'm not sure I'm not sure it was as intentional as it was just circumstantial and it was the right time. And I had gone back to the ranch in the 80s and it was brutal. And we just felt like there was a plan B and plan B became plan A. And then there were plan C, (laughs) that just sort of added to it. So I'm a a tortured path of lots of twists and turns and re-stepping backwards and refitting and rethinking. But I will tell you, Don, I'm just so excited to be on a podcast that's focused on rural places and rural communities because I will forever, in every step of my journey, I can go back and find someone or some conversation that was held with someone in that community that opened the door 
for so much of what I've done. And I owe so much to people in that town. Yeah, well, beautiful country, remarkable country. Uh, I've had the opportunity to do some work in that part of Western Colorado. And, you know, you and I share some of the same legacy. I mean, there were seven brothers in my dad's family. They and their wives were all entrepreneurs and business people, primarily Main Street kinds of businesses. But I can relate to growing up in that environment where uh, an opportunity would pop up and they would grab it and try to make a little bit of money and build their life from it. It's a neat process. It's a neat process. Yeah, I think hustle culture actually started a long time ago. (laughs) We've just put a name to it now, but I think I grew up in hustle culture. Yeah, well, I remember my dad. My dad had gas stations and I wanted to get a car and he said, yeah, you're going to be 16. You can get a car and you've got an opportunity. The GM dealership in Ogallala needs new cars detailed. If you detail enough of those, you'll have enough money to get a car. And that's how (laughs) I got it. (laughs) Well, speaking of uh, another remarkable entrepreneur who is behind the name of the Engler program, Paul Engler, has a remarkable story. I think it's contextual to our discussion today, Tom, is uh, is Paul and his story. So share a little bit about Paul Engler uh, that bears the name of the program that we're going to be talking a bit more about. Well, Paul is a native Nebraskan, a Rock County kid through and through, and he's 94 now, and I would still say he's a Rock County kid. <laughs> his dad had a small business. They had a little gas station. And I think his dad delivered fuel out to farms. Mm -hmm. And in those days, a service station implied service. Somebody actually came out and did some (laughs) some work for you. And at that service station, a lot of times it was Paul and Paul didn't mind working, but he didn't really like cars. (laughs) So his dad, as many fathers will do as well, we'll get you a milk cow and we will teach you how repetitive work, what that looks like. Well, Paul liked the milk cow. (laughs) <laughs> and, and they, I think, got it. There was a second cow, and and over time they got a little property and a few cattle. And in those days, Paul was able to actually, as many kids did, he could work a half day or a day a week just to raise a little bit of extra money because everybody was struggling financially. Right. And so he worked at Sale Barn and ended up learning there. And he bought a set of cattle when he was 11 years old. After the sale, the sale barn owner says, geez, Paul, that's a great set of calves. How are you going to pay for those? And Paul said, well, you're just going to have to loan me the money. (laughs) And the guy was so taken with Paul that he did. And Paul's dad had been out of town, I think, delivering fuel or something. So Paul gets those cattle home, gets them out into their pastures. And his mom, I think, was ready to really lay into Paul. But she thought, well, as is a great, (laughs) the great line many of us grew up with was wait till your dad gets Well, so Paul waited, you know, and he got the cattle ready and dad got home and Paul has told me, he said, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And he said, we went out and drove through the cattle. My dad didn't say a word. And we finally got back out and I closed the gate and jumped back in the pickup. And my dad said, Paul looks like the herd grew. Why don't you tell me about that? And he did. And they, his dad said, I think we can get a better deal. They went to town, refinanced the cattle. And when they walked out of the bank, Paul's dad shook Paul's hand and said, I'm proud of you. That's me. Well, that ignited something. And people say, well, how did this program start? I said, well, it started with Paul's father and that moment. I just believe deeply that that was where this whole thing began. And Paul ultimately goes out and figures out that there's a real opportunity in the cattle feeding business in 
the panhandle of Texas, builds cactus feed yards, a very successful company, gets into the energy business, has all kinds of other small ventures that he's done. And Paul has this deep-seated belief that he has this obligation to give back and to honor the communities and the places where he was inspired and nurtured and, and also where he made his money. So he's been very generous to both the University of Nebraska and to West Texas A&M. And what he really thought for us was, is, look, there's an opportunity here to build something that might help create more employers, people who want to start things. And in essence, a place that would nurture what happened to him in his growing up and to really As he calls it, you've got to have a fire in the belly, and our job is to fuel that fire. And so Paul's a remarkable guy, 94 years old, still very engaged. He knows what we're up to. He weighs in. He is, the, in many ways, the face, the spirit, the story of our program. Students will line up and wait in line for literally an hour to shake his hand when he's in town. It's just He's like the cowboy Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it's just, analogy. <laughs> it, it's, it's fantastic, though, because he just pours his heart and his wisdom and certainly his resources into that. And we're just so fortunate to have a founder that cares so deeply about where he started. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a tremendous story for our audience I believe Cactus Feeders is now employee-owned, kind of committing to this idea that you can be a worker, but you can also be an owner of this enterprise and kind of speaks to Paul's value system, at least to me. Yeah, absolutely. And the creation and employee-owned approach. And I've had the chance to meet a couple of the very first employees Mm -hmm. and to see the relationship. And I say this not lightly at all, to actually see this deep-seated respect and truly a sense of love for one another. It's remarkable and it's inspirational. And God, I just think if we could all do that as leaders and as members of society and communities, man, we would we could put a lot of the pains of today in the shed and walk away from them. Well, and I think it speaks to a key, at least a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've had the opportunity to get to know over the years, this idea that employees are not just transactional inputs, but employees are core. And if you really do build that relationship with them, support them, empower them, you're going to build a better business, which means you're going to be more successful. But I think that's a at least one of my takeaways with many successful entrepreneurs is they have a different view of their employees. That's right. There's a real partnership that exists there. And, and I think it extends to vendors and even to key customers. I mean, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things that has helped us the most is we don't look at students as students. We look at them as clients and really as peers in many, many ways. I mean, I have a lot more gray hair, um, <laughs> but we try to, to really cultivate that vision that Paul had that when you work together and when you are on a first name basis and when you can let down all the trappings of power and get to the heart of what people are trying to accomplish, then really, really good things happen. Yeah. Well, let's get to kind of the meat and potatoes of this. And that is, I know a lot of folks have heard about the Engler program. 
I mean, we talk about it as we work in different parts of the country. Share with our audience what you actually do day to day with your staff and with your student partners. Well, we have this great community and it's a community of staff, alumni, and our actively engaged students. And there's about 135, 140 students at any one time who are engaged with our program at various levels. But our when we wake up in the morning, everything is about our mission, our work that day and every day is to embolden our people on the courageous pursuit of their purpose through the art and practice of entrepreneurship. And it's that purpose thing that has been so key and that's evolved over the years. But we began to really understand that what was driving our entrepreneurs in our program were certainly they wanted to be profitable and certainly they wanted to do interesting things in the world of business and enterprise and even in nonprofits. But they didn't want to do it only for the money or only because they thought it would be cool or avant-garde, or Mm -hmm. they didn't want to do it because someone else was doing it or because they wanted to imitate someone. There's this genuine thing. I just read one of the things our freshmen write is a thing called a quest map, which sort of like imagines what the future is. And it happens all the time. And here's this great quest map. And his last line is, my goal is to give back 10% of everything I make to make my community better. And that just happens over and over and over again. And and we don't drive that. That comes from inside them. Early on, we thought our job was to start companies. And that was a bad idea because then they became our companies and we didn't need more companies as staff. So we finally figured out our job was really to build people. Mm -hmm. Those people would build businesses. And when they built those businesses together in alignment in communities and across the state and the region, that community growth and community vibrancy would increase. And that, I think, is our big vision. And I know it's Paul's vision as well, that it's not just enough for the individual to prosper. How do we create these kind of places we want to, I think as Jeff Yost puts it, places we want to live, work, and play. And that does matter. And it matters for everybody at every level. I mean, even kindergartners want to be in a place where they can work, live, and play in a place that empowers them and that gives them a chance to grow and and that holds them accountable as well. So we work on all of that and we're a very unique program. We're more like a craftsman guild than we are an academic program, to be sure. Well, and I think one of the things that's important is this connection between the individual's dream, their success and community building. So as you know, we work across the country That's part of our case to communities, that if you're willing to invest in these individuals, if you're willing to support them, there's a dividend back to the community, and that's how you build community. I think one of the interesting things, at least as I looked at your website and your more recent annual reports, these individuals are creating businesses. They're creating economic impact. So share a little bit with our audience You've got some very impressive metrics that you've accumulated based on your post surveys. I think folks would be really interested. Uh, You're creating economic development. Yeah, we're very excited. And and frankly, we were a little surprised when we did our 10-year impact statement because we we wanted to know, are we doing the right things and are we creating the outcome that the founder actually aspired to? And so we 
spent a year putting together kind of like what's our impact. And I will tell you the numbers I'm going to share matter, but what matters more is I think this set, and I'm going to lead with this set of numbers, more than 85% of our students and alumni aspire to become employers and to have businesses. And the ones that have started them, 97% plan to either hold the line where they're at today in terms of productivity and economic impact or to grow it. Only 3% plan to exit the current business they're in, which is pretty exciting. And as you know, Nebraskans hate to talk about their money. (laughs) So we had to ask carefully and we were very thoughtful about the way we did it. And we compiled the data. We never released anybody's individual information at all. But we did get 56 companies that kind of shared the basics with us, right? And we didn't get into the nitty gritty with them. But top line revenue over the course of our program's history, which was a decade, close to 150 million in top line revenue and approaching through both full-time and part-time employment, creating close to 130 jobs. They did 37 million the year after COVID. And we see it happening with young people. And the magic is, and I look back when I was in college, everything was about take this course. You're not going to like it, but it's going to lead to the next one which will lead to the next one. And when you're a senior, you're going to do something interesting. Yeah. That's how I felt. I mean, like, oh man, it's just like this slog. <laughs> like, get the prereqs out of the way. Get the prereqs out of the way. We just said, look, what would happen if we sort of said, you could start when you're ready and actually start before you're ready. And so we encourage lots of experimentation with our students and almost all of them within a year or 18 months, we'll start some kind of side hustle. Do many of those last? Probably not in the long term. We do have a couple that have gone on and become actually pretty successful companies. But the goal is, is just get them in the game. And once they're in the game, they find out whether they like it or not. And if they don't, we've created some value there too. Like, I don't want to do this. It's not fun or it's not fulfilling or it doesn't really ring the bell for me. But for those that it does, man, we just get the chance to see this igniting of interest and effort. And I think that's our magic is we don't try to produce perfect companies. We make peace with failure. We learn from it and then we grow from it. And that alone has changed the mindset of so many of our students because it removes fear because fear is such a force of resistance. And if we can get that fear, we're all going to have those moments where like, oh my, what have I done? But if we can get people past that paralyzing sense of fear or of disappointing someone or looking foolish, which is, man, and in the age of social media, this for young people, that is such a big deal today that social media has cultivated this. They're afraid of looking or appearing to be not fully formed, not perfect. Right. And man, we work really hard to get rid of that. But so anyway, all that said, it's mindset and then immersion and then coaching and accepting the tough times when they come and never lying to them. We tell them this will be hard, but it will be worth it if you get fed by it. And then we work really hard to build an alumni network because we know this is challenging. Entrepreneurship is not an easy walk. And we know people get tired and we're trying to figure out a little bit like that's the thing in the last six months that I'm encountering with entrepreneurs all across the spectrum, not only ours, but other folks, regardless of age. A lot of entrepreneurs are saying, man, I'm tired. 
So that's one that we're starting to wrestle with now is like, how do we help rejuvenate people? Right. And how do we encourage them to seek the rejuvenation that will be unique to them? Yeah, I think that's particularly important. But it goes back to a point you made earlier, Tom, that I just want to emphasize for our listeners. And that is, while businesses may be the outcome of this, what you're really doing is developing human talent. You're helping people explore this, uh, learn to fail small. To your point, is this something I really want to do? I'm convinced that if folks say, I don't want to be that employer, they're going to be a better employee because yes. they've gone through some of these experiences. But that's really the intervention is we're continuing to invest in the development of people to pursue their dreams and to be more successful. Absolutely. Ultimately, the whole mission, and really it's the land grants mission. I I, mm-hmm. I wish we could get big institutions to talk in this kind of language. It comes down to service and to truly serve. That is not a small word. We've sort of like taken the power away from that word, but right. to serve is a big deal. And then to love. And love doesn't mean ooey gooey. It means tough conversations and challenging people and holding them accountable, but never, ever, ever giving up on them. Yep. And helping them fight through resistance and to do the things that's going to be required. And ultimately, we have lots of pictures of these photo shoots of our founders and, and our students and alumni on the walls. And then we also have a wall that's a picture of all the babies born to our alumni. <laughs> and there are times I have been here you know, late at night or really early in the morning, and you just feel overwhelmed yeah. with joy in that community. And I look at those pictures of those precious little babies, and I just think to myself, what a beautiful experience we get to have as a staff. We get to work with these young people, and we get to be, we get to ride alongside them and cheer for them and be their wingmen as they do these really remarkable things in the world. Absolutely. Well, Tom, as I shared as we were getting started, uh, this goes fast, but I have one more question before we wrap up. I'd be really curious, what do you hope is true with the Ingler program a year from now? What's your vision for where you're going to be as we go into 2024 and another new year? A year from now, I'm hopeful that even more of the community have claimed the full power of what it means to be an owner not only of their own business, but also of this program. I'm hopeful that a year from now, our program has, through the efforts of the young people in this program, through some of the stories we get to share and tell, that in every county in this state, someone said, wow, if they can do it, so can I. Yeah. Yeah. And if if we could have that happen, one person in every county, every year, for the next hundred years, who wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be so cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tom, thank you for being my guest today, and keep up the good work. I really look forward to this story continuing to uh, unfold as we go into the years ahead. Well, thanks for the roads you've paved for all of us who are trying to do this work, <laughs> and and you've just been a pace setter and a trailblazer. And we're, we're so grateful. And I'm just really honored to be your guest today. And to all those that might be listening to this, you got it in, you go do it. Absolutely. So with that advice, folks, let's wrap up. I just want to share a few resources that'll be available with this podcast. First of all, 
we encourage folks to go to our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. There's a whole set of resources, podcast stories like this. And of course, one of the things we've done is we've organized that content around questions and themes. And so there's podcasts, there's videos, there's written materials. But at the end of the day, if you're looking for something, you want to have a conversation, just reach out to me and we'll find time to talk and share. Specific to this episode on the Engler program, we're going to provide some connection to the website and the resources that in terms of the 10-year review uh, that Tom talked about. Also, we're going to connect you to uh, the Engler Foundation and the work that they do that has been instrumental with this program. And then I just can't because I just love the cactus feeder story. Uh, we've got some information on cactus feeders and what that has meant for West Texas and so many people. And so, uh, Tom, again, thanks for being my guest today. All my best. And to our listeners, all my best to you and your efforts to grow a stronger rural America, one community at a time. Thanks and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Mm-hmm.